Um, my name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And so uh, tonight, we've got everybody in here, all our kids and everything are, are in here with us. So if it feels like it's going to get a little bit crazy, um, we're going to celebrate that we have kids here and that they're worshiping with us. Um, and for the vast majority of us here in America, Christmas is a great time of year. Um, kids, I know that most of you are, are like about to bust with excitement now because just like two more nights and you get to open presents. I remember growing up as a kid having trouble falling asleep uh, every year on Christmas Eve because it seems like I couldn't calm myself down enough to rest on Christmas Eve. And while I was awake, it would seem like the night would just go on forever. You know, I wanted the morning to come because I knew that if I could just get to sleep, if I could just relax and just rest, that it would only seem like a moment before I was headed to the Christmas tree. You know, and maybe that's because time passes quickly when you sleep, or maybe that was because I was getting up about 4.30 in the morning, and so there wasn't much night left by that time. But there's something that's, that's deeply good about the anticipation that's trained in us as children at Christmas. For a lot of us, we've lost the meaning that's behind the weight at Christmas. You know, the, the payoff for a lot of us now is, is, is the usefulness of a Christmas gift or, or the fun of a toy. But all that anticipation and, and all the restlessness points us to something much deeper than electronics or books or clothes or toys. And I know what you're thinking. He's going to say Jesus. All right, you're right. But maybe not in the way you expect. See, for, uh, for as many of us for whom Christmas is a delight every year, there are many, many more, maybe some of us, probably some of us here tonight, that dread Christmas every year. Because you have a family member that's not with you anymore. And, on, and honestly, celebrations over presents just doesn't seem to carry much weight when you just want a loved one close to you again. You know, two and a half years ago, my wife and I had a... We had a little baby boy. His name is Kai. And he just lived for a day. And this is going to be our third Christmas without him. And it's not easy to, to celebrate Christmas every year without all four of my sons. You know, recently in a school in Connecticut, 20 moms and dads lost their little ones. And Christmas is going to be excruciatingly difficult for them. This year and for every year to come. And if Christmas was just about presents under a tree, then, then I would join with all the Bob humbugs of the Scrooges that echo the line of the old Christmas carol originally written by Henry Longfellow that reads, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But see, Christmas is not mainly about presents under a tree. The truth that we celebrate at Christmas gives a sure hope that I will see my son again and it comforts the parents of murdered children. See, Jesus was born into darkness. 
into pain, into suffering. God, the light of the world, became flesh. He became one of us. And in a time in human history when the world was governed by evil King Herod, a better, a truer, a more powerful king was born in Bethlehem. And his name is Jesus. And see, King Herod's response to King Jesus's birth was to try and kill him. But when he couldn't find Jesus, he decided that he'd just send his soldiers out to Bethlehem to kill every baby boy under two years old. And in Matthew 2, verse 18, Matthew quotes the prophet Jeremiah regarding the way that those parents felt about losing their precious children. It says this in Matthew 2, 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It seems pretty hopeless, doesn't it? That verse But if you read the rest of the story in Jeremiah and, of course, in Matthew's gospel, you hear the hope that Jesus brings. I'll read it from Jeremiah. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy, says God. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Thus says the Lord. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears and your children shall come back from the land of the enemy. There's hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. See, Jeremiah says this because of Christmas. He's telling us that, there will, that there's going to be a better king than the evil king of Babylon that killed children in his day. He says that there'll, that there'll be a better king than evil king Herod that killed children in Jesus's day. And there is someone greater than all those that kill, steal, and destroy. There is one who gives life by his death. See, Jesus would not only be born, but he would live the life that God intended us to live for us in our place. And he would die the death that we were condemned to die for our sin in our place. So that if we put our trust in him, we can know him and love him and forever be raised together in eternal life with him and our children. See, Christmas is the hope for every parent that's lost a child. It's the hope of everyone who has hung his head in despair over evil and darkness. And the hope is not sentimental. It's real. And it's found in Jesus. And that hope creates in us an anticipation, a waiting for the day that Jesus returns and undoes every sin and raises his brothers and sisters from the dead. When Jesus is king and makes all things new. That's our anticipation. That is our wait. And in that truth, in the gospel, we rest. And one day, all the sad things will come untrue and the temporary pain of this life will seem like a child's brief moment of sleep on Christmas Eve. So tonight, I want to end with a poem, a story. I don't often, perhaps ever, read poems in my sermons, all right? So for those of you here for your first time, this is not me, but I'm going to tonight. 
because this one so beautifully communicates a hurting parent and a tender, hopeful response from the God who died to save us. Which is exactly what we need in the middle of our darkness. So, I give you the story of the innkeeper. All right, a, a fictional character from the imagination of this story's author, John Piper. The innkeeper's name is Jacob, and he had two sons. They were both under two years old when Herod's death squad came into town, and their names were Ben and Joseph. And this is the imaginative account of what may have taken place if Jesus returned to the place of his birth to comfort the man who gave Mary and Joseph shelter once upon a midnight clear. What would Jesus say to those who were victims of Herod's murderous decree against children? And what does Jesus say to every one of us who has put our trust in him regarding death? The last lines of this poem will tell us. This is The Innkeeper by John Piper. Jake's wife would have been 58 the day that Jesus passed the gate of Bethlehem and slowly walked towards Jacob's inn. The people talked with friends and children played along the paths and Jesus hummed a song and smiled at every child he saw. He passed with one small last to draw a camel in the dirt then said, what's this? The girl bent down her head to study what the Lord had made. She smiled, a camel, sir, and laid her finger on the bulging back where merchants bind their leather pack. It's got a hump. Indeed, it does. And who do you believe it was that who made this camel with this hump? Without a thought that this would stump the rabbi guild and be reviled, she said, God did. And and Jesus smiled. Good eyes, my child. And would that all Jerusalem within that wall of yonder stone could see the signs of peace. He left the last with lines of simple wonder in her face. And slowly went to find the place where he was born. Folks said the inn had never been a place for sin. For Jacob was a lonely over Jacob was a holy man. And he and Rachel had a plan to marry, have a child or two, and serve the folks who traveled through, especially the poor who brought their, their meal and turtle doves and sought a place to stay at Zion's gate. They'd rise up early, stay up late to help the pilgrims go and come. And when the place was full, and when the place was full to some, especially the poorest, they would say, we're sorry there's no room, but stay now if you like out back. There's lots of hay. And we have extra cots that you can use. There'll be no charge. The stable isn't very large, but Noah keeps it safe. He was a wedding gift to to Jake because the shepherds knew he loved the dog. There's nothing in the Decalogue, he used to joke, that says a man can't love a dog. The children ran ahead of Jesus as he strode toward Jacob's inn. The stony roan that led up to the inn was deep with With centuries of wear and steep at one point just before the door, the Lord knocked once, then twice before. He heard an old man's voice, round back, it called. So Jesus took the track 
that led him around the end. The old man leaned back in his chair and told the dog to never mind. Ain't had no one to tend my door. My lad, for 30 years, I'm sorry for the, the inconvenience to your sore feet. The road to Jerusalem is hard, ain't it? Don't mind, old Shem. He's harmless like his dad. Won't bite a Roman soldier in the night. Sit down. And Jacob waved the stump of his right arm. We're in a slump right now. Got lots of time to think and talk. Come sit and have a drink from Jacob's well, he laughed. You own this inn? The Lord replied. On loan, you'd better say. God owns the inn. And at that, the Lord knew they were kin and ventured on. Do you recall the tax when Caesar said to all the world that each must be enrolled? Old Jacob, old, old Jacob winced. Our north winds cold? Our deserts dry? Do fishes swim and ravens fly? I do. A grim and awful year it was for me when God ordained that strange decree. How could I such a time forget? Why do you ask? I have a debt to pay. And I, I must see how much. Why do you say that it was such a grim and awful year? He raised the stump of his right arm. So dazed, young man. I didn't know I'd lost my arm. Do you know what it cost for me to house the Son of God? The old man took his cedar rod and swept it round the place. Empty. For 30 years alone, you see. Old Jacob, poor old Jacob, runs it with one arm, a dog. No sons, but I had sons once. Joseph was my firstborn. He was small because his mother was so sick. When, when he turned three, the Lord was good to me. And Rachel, with our baby Ben, was born the, the fortnight when the blessed family arrived. And Rachel's generous heart contrived a, a way for them to stay there. In that very stall, the man was thin and tired. You look a lot like him. But Jesus said, why, why was it grim? We got a reputation here that night. Nothing at all to fear in that, we thought. It was of God. But in one year, the slaughter squad from Herod came. And where, and where do you suppose they started? Not a clue. We, we didn't have a clue what they had come to do. No time to pray. No time to run. No time to, to get poor Joseph off the street and, and, and let him say goodbye to Ben or me or Rachel. Only time to see a lifted spear smash through his spine and chest. He stumbled to the sign that welcomed strangers to the place and he looked with panic at my face as if to ask what he had done. Young man, you ever lost a son? The tears streamed down the Savior's cheek. He shook his head, but he couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words, a, a horrid dream, kill every child who's two or less, spare not for all, nor make excess. Let this one be the oldest here. And if you count your own life, dear, let none escape. I had no sword, no weapons in my house, but, but Lord, I had my hands. 
and I would save the son of my right hand. So brave. Oh, Rachel was so brave. Her hands were like a thousand iron bands around the boy. She wouldn't let him go. And so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, my sons, the cost for housing the, the Messiah here. Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? They sat in silence. Jacob wondered at the stranger's tears. I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life. And then God let me live and took your wife. And ask me not why that one should live, another die. God's ways are high and you will know in time. But I have come to show you when the Lord prepared what the Lord prepared that night. You made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks, they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob. I will rise in those days from the dead. And place. And place my fist upon the head of him who has the power of death. And I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too. And give them, Jacob, back to you. With everything the world can score. And you will reign forevermore. Indeed, Jesus is God in the flesh. Not just above us. But with us. In our pain and in our suffering and in our death, and eventually in resurrection. He is Emmanuel. He came the first time to die for us, and he's coming again to raise us. You know, the end of Longfellow's song resolves in the gospel, where it says, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so with that, we remember... And we wait for him to return. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your promise at Christmas to enter, to be God with us, to to come in flesh, to enter into our darkness and into our suffering. And then to go to a cross, to die in our place for our sin when we rebelled against you is the most beautiful act of love that we've ever seen. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And so, Father, I pray for every hurting person here that's lost a loved one, for every person here that Christmas is is a reminder of the people, not that are with them, but the people that aren't with them, that, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would minister to them and that they would put their trust not in their own ability to to, um, come up with the right emotion for the season, but God, that they'd put their trust in you who has the ability and the power to overcome death by your death and to bring us life in your resurrection. Father, as we sing tonight about your kingship, let us be reminded at Christmas that you're coming back to make all things new. In Christ's name I pray, amen.